We welcome you all in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ to hear the word of God again this day. And uh, before we do that, let's all, uh, if anyone's got greetings, please do so now. Thank you, Sister Monica. Welcome and also extend our greetings both to your family and to your congregation as well. Someone else was going to say something. Thank you. Sister Nancy Wilkinson, extend our greetings. Thank you, Brother Greg. Thank you. Sister Bethany is still in Kitchener looking after her dad. She extended greetings. Your family extends greetings. Thank you, Sister Amelia. Greetings from Brother Edwin. Thank you, Brother Miller. How's he doing? It's okay. Okay, good. Keep him in prayer. Thank you. Um, few announcements this uh, morning. As usual, we start off with the focus of the month, which is uh, still Papua New Guinea for February for support of the Bible school through bursaries and necessary projects such as an upgrade to the dormitories. <coughs> Lord willing, <coughs> there will be a lunch this day as we normally have, but it's a special occasion. We are uh, remembering uh, Sister Marika's 90th birthday. So please be here if you want to be part of that to wish her well. And uh, we'd like to encourage her to keep going. The Lord bless her. Wednesday is Bible study at CFG. Lord willing, uh, there'll be a brothers meeting on March 10 now because of conflicts. Uh, March 10th will be a Sunday. We'll have a brothers meeting uh, upstairs and we'll have something for the unconverted downstairs. So, um, and anybody else who wants to attend, the sisters as well. So they'll be downstairs. Family night is scheduled for March 3rd in place of afternoon service. Area sing in the evening in our church, I guess. Potluck lunch. Potluck lunch. Uh, details about the food arrangements are still being discussed. So that's March the 3rd. There's an instrumental praise weekend as usual, the traditional one in Ancaster. This one's on March 16 to 17. See link in the church announcements for details. There are those, those of you that know Sister Julie Balzer. Uh, she passed away this past Thursday. The visitation is in the Henry, Henry Walser Funeral Home, 507 Frederick Street in Kitchener. Uh, there will be on Monday, February 19th, a visitation between 4 and 7 p.m. And on Tuesday, February 20th, between 9.30 and 10.15, followed by the funeral service. That's for Sister Julia Balzer. She's the wife of Brother Tony, who was a former, uh, a retired minister in the Strasbourg Church. Also the father-in-law to Brother Dan Tomich, uh, the elder from Strasbourg. The internment will be following the, uh, uh, the services and you'll this, the live stream is also available on the website for the service. 
Also, just want to thank the Lord and all. We all want to thank the Lord and all for all the uh, efforts put forward for last week's Midwinter Sing. Uh, it was a, a true blessing from all around. We're getting comments back from other people in other cities and so forth of the blessed uh, weekend we had. And we just want to thank the Lord all, especially the, um, the kitchen staff and the helpers for such a big crowd. I think we had, someone counted, 450 people in the sanctuary for the afternoon. When the choir came up, we had 450. And in the building. In the building. So in the building, uh, thank the Lord and you all for your uh, wonderful effort that, that, that occurred. That uh, Also the previous night, this inspiration hour was very inspirational to many, uh, and we thank the Lord for that. Um, Lord willing, I will be away the next two weeks. I'll be in Harrow, God willing, uh, next week. And the week following, I'll be in Richmond Hill uh, to visit Richmond Hill again. They have <clears throat> four converts uh, for the April 21 baptism. And Lord willing, they may have another couple. We're still seeing how things go. But please pray for them as well. Sister Goga's here. You can relay that to, to your congregation as well. Thank you. Thank you for the greetings. And also for those that um, have given greetings, please extend our greetings back. And those that are watching on Teams, extend greetings. We give the church's greetings to all. Um, is there anything else that I missed? No. Okay, before we look into the word of God then, let's all bow our heads in prayer. Loving Father in heaven, indeed thou art good. You are the source of all goodness, of all grace, of all mercy. And we come to thee, Lord, imploring, beseeching thee to bless us once again with your word, with the songs that we sing, with the fellowship that we have. And we pray that you would continue to work amongst your people, though we are small in number, yet thou art great. And when we have thee, we have everything. You have promised to be with us together. Jesus said that in the midst of two or three that are gathered in my name, I will be there. And so we cling to that promise and we pray that you would touch the hearts of all as we would look into your word and grant utterance unto those that will be preaching today. For we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. This past Wednesday at CFG, we had a topic on conversion and um, sort of the fundamentals of conversion. And one of the main aspects of conversion, what is the responsibility of man? We know that God initiates conversion through his word, through his call, through the Holy Spirit's con conviction, but man has to do something. Not that we earn it, not that it's a work, not that we deserve it, but it's a response to God's grace in calling us. And 
I can't think of a, perhaps a, a more poignant chapter than Psalm 51, which we mentioned on Wednesday. So this is Psalm 51 written by David, the king of Israel. Psalm 51. The subtitle says, To the chief musician, a psalm of David, when Nathan the prophet came unto him after David had gone in to Bathsheba. Have mercy upon me, O God, according to thy loving kindness, according unto the multitude of thy tender mercies, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I acknowledge my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. Against thee, thee only, have I sinned and done this evil in thy sight, that thou mightest be justified when thou speakest and be clear when thou judgest. Behold, I was shapen in iniquity and in sin did my mother conceive me. Behold, Thou desirest truth in the inward parts, and in the hidden parts thou shalt make me to know wisdom. Purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Make me to hear joy and gladness, that the bones which thou hast broken may rejoice. Hide thy face from my sins, and blot out all mine iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from thy presence, and take not thy Holy Spirit from me. Restore unto me the joy of thy salvation, and uphold me with thy free spirit. Then will I teach transgressors thy ways, and sinners shall be converted unto thee. Deliver me from my blood guiltiness, O God, thou God of my salvation, and my tongue shall sing aloud of thy righteousness. O Lord, open thou my lips, and my mouth shall show forth thy praise. For thou desirest not sacrifice, else would I give it. Thou delightest not in burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and a contrite heart, O God, thou wilt not despise. Do good in thy pleasure unto Zion. Build thou the walls of Jerusalem. Then shalt thou be pleased with the sacrifices of righteousness, with burnt offering and whole burnt offering. Then shall they offer bullocks upon thine altar. I have read the whole chapter. May the Lord bless the reading of his word. Let's kneel for prayer. Heavenly Father, we're so thankful that thou hast gathered us today in this place to hear these words that are old and yet still so fresh and new that we can see in the words of thy servant David the reflection of a heart that desires to turn from sin and that looks to thee for cleansing. Heavenly Father, you know that we were helpless, dead in sin and trespasses, as thy word says, and it was necessary for thee to send thy son. Help each one here realize the importance of that, 
that there can be no other way back to thee except through thy Son, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Heavenly Father, <clears throat> we're thankful that we have thy word preserved for us. We're thankful that we are able to gather in peace and security uh, in this good country to be able to worship thee according to the dictates of our conscience and according to the revelation of thy word. And now, Heavenly Father, provide illumination that we may be able to see the God who still loves the sinner yet hates the sin. Thy grace, and, thy grace and thy mercy is so vast, Heavenly Father, we cannot measure it, nor can we put a limit and boundary upon it. But Heavenly Father, thou art also justice and, and uh, righteousness, and sin cannot dwell in thy presence. So Heavenly Father, teach us how through, that, through the gift of thy Son we may be restored to a right relationship with thee. For those of us that have made that decision before and have, have, are, are, have walked with thee perhaps for many years, help us to marvel again at the grace that we have experienced and how far thou hast brought us. And that if we look back at our own conversion and uh, baptism, that we may look, view it as, a, as, as the Ebenezer of the Old Testament that uh, hitherto hath the Lord helped us. And, and yet thou dost continue to help and to aid us each day, each step. And where we fail thee, Heavenly Father, as we often do, we know there's no excuse for our sin. David didn't claim any extenuating circumstances or try to shift the blame. He recognized his sin for what it was, a transgression against a holy and loving God. And so, Heavenly Father, help us also to remember that every sin is first and foremost against thee. But for those who will repent and confess, there is both healing and restoration available through the blood of Christ Jesus. Heavenly Father, be with those that are preaching thy word throughout this world. Be with those that are suffering under uh, the, the, the oppressive uh, uh, hand of, of sickness, of, of difficulty, of stress. Lord, thou dost have the answer for every problem, every human ill, and thy yoke is easy and thy burden is light. Lord God, please be with those that are grieving the loss of loved ones as well, even as we're mindful of the family of Sister Julie, that she has now passed uh, on to dwell with thee. And Heavenly Father, we pray that uh, thy comfort and thy peace would be upon her family as they grieve her passing. Be with us now, dear Lord, and bless our brother with uh, words from above that the, the message would go forth in truth and simplicity to the converting of the souls and to the restoration of those who are erring. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm sure this is a very familiar passage to most, if not all. And in many ways, we're thankful that, not that he sinned, but if he was going to write about somebody that will give us insight into the heart of God, that it was the one that was, in fact, the man that was after God's own heart, King David, the little Jewish boy that played on the harp, that sung those beautiful psalms, that looked after the sheep, that slew the giant, that gave victory to Israel of, over many battles with the Philistines, that was hunted down like a dog by Saul, 
his jealous king. It was David. King David. After God had cleared the path, <clears throat> after God had anointed him the second king of Israel after Saul, this is what David did. It's an ugly story. It's a horrific story, especially if you were David. Just to go back, I think it's really important that we read a lot of the details here in 2 Samuel chapter 11. If you go to where this is recorded in detail, It talks about the time when the nation of Israel was battling the Ammonites. They went over into Jordan territory, if you will, and they were battling the enemies of the Jews, the very nations that God had told them to drive out if they were to possess the new land, the promised land. And it says in the first verse of 2 Samuel 11, and it came to pass after the year was expired, at that time when the kings go forth to battle, that David sent Joab and his servant. In that time when the kings go forth to battle, the king didn't go forth to battle, but he stayed home in Jerusalem. He was a commander. He, was, he led the nation of Israel into battle as a king. But for whatever reason, he decided to stay home. And when he was staying home and taking his ease, he spotted this beautiful woman, Bathsheba, from his housetop. And he inquired of his servant, who is that woman? And he said, isn't this the wife of Uriah, the Hittite? Isn't he... The one, wasn't he the husband? He was on the battlefields. He was out there fighting for his king. And his king now sees this. And he does this wicked deed, this wicked sin in taking the wife of the one that was fighting for him, putting his life on the line, and just... In one night, it was done. Right there is probably one of our first lessons of why is it that we sin? Number one, we're born human. We're humans. It is our nature to sin. But David loved the Lord. David sang the most divine and prophesied the most divine prophecies as God inspired him. You wonder why he said, take not thy Holy Spirit from me. Because his Holy Spirit inspired David in his life. It spoke to him. He spoke to him. But I'm going to bring you a, a very familiar saying and it may seem fairly, you know, 
forget the name of the word for it, but it's a very familiar saying to you and to me. And it says that an idle mind is what? Is the devil's playground. An idle mind is the devil's playground. And it was discovered also in the time of Noah that the imaginations of men were wicked continuously. They were always looking for things to do. God made Adam and Eve work to do things with their hands, to keep themselves occupied. And he's made us to work for a reason, not just to earn our bread, but to keep us occupied and to value the things that we get too, even though they're all coming from God. But because of our sinful nature, he, has, he requires that Adam now, after sinning, that he earn his keep, if you will, by the sweat of his brow. So work is a blessing from God. If we ever think of, I'm just going to, when I get older and richer, I'm going to take it easy, I'm going to retire here, I'm going to do this and that, beware, an idle mind is a place where the devil can start his games in your mind. He goes on to say what happened. In verse 5, it said that the woman conceived... And told David, I am with child. Just like that. One verse. We're in a bigger problem now. We're in a bigger problem now. You can see the, 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 the sinful nature of man. Bathsheba didn't question it. She just went. Well, he's the king. I've got to obey his commands. And now they're with child. Now what are they going to do with it? <clears throat> Make a long story short. <clears throat> David calls Uriah home before too much time goes on so he can cover his tracks, so he can cover his sin. Uriah, come home. You've been a great soldier. I'm just adding some verbiage here. Uh, you come home and you spend some time with your wife. And what did Uriah say? How can I do this, Lord? Your people are on the field fighting for you. And you want me to enjoy myself while others are giving their lives? I can't do that. What do you do? He slept at the door of the king's house. Then the king got really upset. Then he sends Joab. When Uriah went back to war, he sends Joab, his captain. He says... Sorry, before he went back to war, he gives, he gives a letter to Uriah to give to Joab, the captain, who is fighting. Give this to your captain. And in the letter, it says, Joab, when the fighting really gets intense, you withdraw your troops and expose Uriah to the enemy's artillery, to the arrows, to the swords, to the spears. Can you imagine? Poor Uriah. He's got a death sentence in his hands. He didn't read it. 
It would be, it would be a dreadful error if he would read what the king had written. He knows that. But he gives it to Joab in all confidence. And Joab gets this letter. And I'm questioning too, what kind of a man was Joab? There's no one innocent here. You see, sin has its accomplices. Sin is not done in a silo. There's all kinds of counselors. There's all kinds of accomplices. And sin will take you farther than you will want to go. So Joab takes this. He reads it. Doesn't say with any commentary what happened. But I, I believe he was pricked in the heart. And the reason being, later on, when David tells Joab to number the nation of Israel, Joab said, Lord, this is, this is not right. He didn't think it was right for him to do that. So he numbered everybody but two tribes, Levi and Dan. I forget which other tribe was. But because of that sin of numbering the tribe of Israel, which God didn't tell him to do, it says, you know, God, anger came up and he, and he moved David to, to number the nation of Israel. But in another chapter, in Chronicles, it says, Satan moved uh, David to number the tribe of Israel. And you weren't, you weren't supposed to number the tribe of Israel unless you, you offered a shekel, whatever it was, a, a temple shekel, for, for each one you counted. But David sinned, this gross sin. I don't fully understand it yet, but he, used, he, he was a sin to number the nation of Israel. So much so that God destroyed at the request of David. We gave him three choices what to do. God actually destroyed people, and it was all on David's back. So, David now is in this quandary. The way he does it is get rid of the evidence by removing. Uriah. Now he can marry Bathsheba. Now he can pretend that the child is really theirs, although I think a lot of time transpired. And he covers it up. He got away scot-free, didn't he? Or did he? In the next chapter, Nathan the prophet comes along. And Nathan gives this story about a poor man and a rich man. Rich man had lots of sheep, lots of uh, animals on his farm. This poor man had this little ewe lamb. It was more, wasn't meant for sacrifice, it was a pet. This little ewe lamb. They probably, the kids probably played with it, cuddled it, fed it off their table. And this rich man says, you know, why waste my flock? I'll take this guy's flock, this little ewe lamb. And he slew the lamb. He gave to his guest. And when Nathan told him that parable, what did David say? 
that guy. What happened to that lamb should happen to him four times. Fourfold should he be punished for what he has done. And you know the story. Nathan says, David, you're the man. When he knew that Nathan was the prophet and the voice of God spoke to him through Nathan, he couldn't back out. He was found out. He was exposed. And it says that he went for seven days into his room and he repented. For seven days he was weeping and moaning. It was, what else was he moaning for? What was he lamenting for? For the child. When the child died, he got up. You see, David thought he could get away with his sin. God, I, I was looking for that verse today and I found it in um, Deuteronomy 32. We talked about Reuben and I think it was Gad. They were telling the, uh, Moses, look, we want to stay here. There's lots of uh, pastures for our sheep and cattle, this and that. And what did, it's almost a parallel sto story where Moses says, you want Israel to go into the promised land and fight your battles and you're just going to stay here and enjoy yourself? When they felt a bit convicted, they said, no, no, we'll fight, but in the meantime, we'll build cities and walls for our, to protect our children and so forth and families. <clears throat> but when we're done, we're going to come back. And so they received the east side of the River Jordan, right where Ammon was, right on that side where Jordan is today. But Moses said, be careful, because God knows everything, and if you don't do that, your sin will find you out. Do not think that, I'm just paraphrasing, don't think that after such a long, long time, God's going to forget what you just said. But your sin is going to find you out. So it could happen. Forgiveness of sin is not dependent on how much time has expired since you did that. Forgiveness of sin says, oh, I've been, that, that was 30 years ago. Since when is sin expiated or redeemed or forgiven because time has passed on? As a matter of fact, Moses told by God, he says, your sin will go down to the third and fourth generation. The effects of it, the consequences of it. So what did, let's go back to Psalm 51 now. David is found out. He's exposed. And what he says right off the bat, have mercy upon me, O God, according to thy loving kindness, 
according unto the multitude of thy tender mercies. Blot out my transgressions. When you're in a situation where your conscience is so piercing, is so painful, you're not looking for a, a hard place to lay your head. You want a soft place where to lay your head. Where was David wanting to lay his head? In the soft, tender mercies of God. God, he knew. That's why it's so, it's so important to get to know God, who he is. The Pharisees knew him as one that, that is Jesus Christ, as a one that hung around with sinners and publicans. Look at this man. He's hanging out with those low outcasts. What kind of a man of God is he, he claims to be? That's when Jesus gave the three parables. The lost sheep, the lost coins, and the lost son. And he didn't he didn't focus on the coins, on the sheep, and the son as much as he focused on the father. The three parables was to show the, 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 the Jewish leaders this is the nature of your God. This is the heart of your God. And he wants everyone to have a heart like God. And in doing so, you don't, have to, you don't have to compromise with sin. God will never compromise with sin. But you need to know that we need to love like God. We're made in his image. God is love. We need to love like God. We live to, need to love a love that's all giving. And so this is what David was relying on. He came to the throne of God, as Hebrews 10 says, boldly. He came boldly to the throne of God. Why? Because the price has been paid already. The price was paid with Jesus Christ. That's why he says, come to the throne of grace boldly, not arrogantly, not defiantly, not... Um, taking his blood for granted, but boldly, knowing who God is, what you are appealing to, you're appealing to his father heart, to his mercy. So what is mercy? We've heard it many times. Mercy is not getting what we deserve justly. That's what mercy is. Not getting the bad things that we deserve, the punishment, the rejection. Mercy is foregoing that by God. Mercy is his willingness to bring us back despite our sin. He pleads with God. He acknowledges his transgression. And when we, many times we hear the word confession. 
We've heard the word confession. We heard it in the New Testament. We heard about the, the, the men of Israel, men and women of Israel coming to the river Jordan, confessing their sins in the Jordan when John the Baptist was baptizing, when he was trying to make a way for the coming of the Messiah, raising all the valleys, lowering all the mountains, make, preparing a way for the Lord. They came in the Jordan confessing their sins. Now that was, would have been new to John if he never heard what they did. It's new. It's, it's, they were admitting their sins, but it was new or a revelation to John because he didn't know their lives individually. But these sins were not unknown to God. So people say, why do I have to confess to God? We know, he already knows. Because the real meaning, if you go look into your dictionary, look into your etymology, you'll see the real meaning, meaning of confession is really acknowledging and admitting what you have done. It is only new to the person that doesn't know it. God knows. That's why when, when David confessed his sin, he was acknowledging, he said, I acknowledge my transgression and my sin is ever before me. It's tormenting me. My sin is tormenting me, God. Why was it so painful for David to he, that he had sinned this sin? One, God has given us a moral conscience. He's given us a moral conscience. He, he knows that we know what is right and wrong. He spelt it out in his law. Even the, even the heathen, even the Gentiles, they have a conscience, Paul says in Romans chapter 2. And in, it, 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 it condemns or releases them or acquits them based upon what they understand to be morality. Everyone's got a conscience. Every man has been born into this world with a, that John uh, was written in the book of John chapter 1, that Jesus Christ is the light that lights every man that comes into the world. He has given some, everyone some light. A light about themselves. A light about what is right, what is wrong. Even Romans says, Romans chapter 1 says, when they knew God, they worshipped him not as God, neither were they thankful. And God gave them over because they suppressed the truth in unrighteousness. They knew it was wrong. But they loved darkness rather than light. And that's what David did. He loved darkness rather than light at that time. He let down his guard. He forget. He, you know, some, some, sometimes we think that when things are going so good, we're untouchable. You can see that in presidents when they're so high and they've got this power and they think they can get away with a lot of undercover crime or lies or uh, propaganda. Just recently we heard about this. The, the, the death of Navalny in, in Russia. I don't want to bring politics, but I just want to bring you a parallel here. For some reason, any opposition to, the, to Russia's leader has been mysteriously removed. How many have fallen out of hotels? How many have fallen out of hospitals? How many were poisoned? How many were killed in airplane crashes? I fear for leaders like that, they think that they are above the law and in some way they think that they are doing 
their God a service because they've got a cross around their neck. I fear for them. No one's above the law. We are condemned by the law. The law condemns us when we, as Paul in the book of Romans chapter 7, when he finally came, when, when, when he met Jesus on the road to Damascus, and he was also three days in a room repenting, and I believe Romans 7 may have come out from that very event, three days in a room where he was repenting, when he had met the risen Christ on the way to Damascus, and he was trembling and he was, he was putting down his, his thoughts. I believe that was Psalm 51 for Paul, the apostle. He said, the things that I want to do that are good, I cannot do. The things that I don't want to do that are abhorrent and sinful, I must do. Oh, wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from the body of this death? He came with his own answer. I thank God through Jesus Christ. The only person that can deliver Paul from his misery and sin and, and shame. He was a murderer too. How many Christians did he kill? We know one for sure, Stephen. He was there witnessing them stoning him. He took the coats of those that would stone him. And he, and he realized, what did I do? I'm the least of the apostles. I'm not worthy to be called an apostle because I persecuted the, the, the church of Christ. Can you imagine Paul walking back to the churches in Jerusalem or elsewhere and he sees the brother or the father or the mother of, of the one that he had stoned, had stoned? Could he look him in the eyes? I killed your son. You may say, you know what, I'm not that bad. I'm not a murderer. I'm not a killer. That's because you see yourself through your own lens. This is how David saw himself after he had this encounter with, with Nathan and the Holy Spirit convicted him. He said, verse 5, Behold, I was shaped in iniquity. In sin did my mother conceive me. Behold, thou, God, desires truth after the inward parts. You don't want me to lie to myself. I need to look deep down in my heart, deep down in my soul. And just because other men don't see it, just because Israel's other generals and other warriors didn't see what was going on in this drama that was unfolding on the army, on the battlefields, God saw it. David knew it. He said, God, you desire truth after the inward parts, the deep down truth. As the prodigal son, when he came to himself, he received the truth after the inward parts. He knew what he was doing wrong all along. But he allowed the, the, the riches of this world, as the sower says in, in Matthew 13, 
and all the, the glory of this world that the, that the devil is offering him, he allowed that to blind his eyes. The God of this world has blinded their eyes that they can, cannot believe the gospel or would not believe the gospel. In the hidden part thou shalt make me. Deep down in my heart you will make me. You will make me see wisdom. The true wisdom which is the beginning. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of true wisdom. When you see God in front of you and not yourself. He said purge me with hyssop. And I shall be clean. Wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. Make me to hear joy and gladness that the bones which thou hast broken may rejoice. He felt like his whole body was broken up. That someone beat him across with a club. Yeah, that's how he felt his bones. He was taken out of the Psalms. He brings in hyssop. What was hyssop used for? Remember the book of Exodus when they slay the lamb and they hit the door posts at the Passover what do they do it with? Hyssop they dashed the blood of the lamb because that was the atonement for their sin the high priest sprinkled the ark of the covenant with the blood so he says I need some of that mercy. I'm at your mercy seat. Sprinkle me. And I shall be whiter than snow. Make me to hear joy. You can have all the money in the world. You can have all the, the riches in the world. You can have all the girls you want in the world or the guys you want in the world. You can have all the power you want in the world. But if you don't have that joy... You don't have that deep down joy with God. It means nothing. How many have taken their own lives having all of this and they weren't happy? Make me to hear joy. I want to hear joy, Lord. That the bones which you have broken, God in his loving kindness broke his bones. There are stories that shepherds, when they see the erring sheep that is continually wandering off, continually going away from the flock, he gets that lamb with that sheep and he breaks a leg to stop him from getting devoured by wolves. What, what God did to David was merciful he pleaded for mercy. He got it. Maybe not the way he was expecting it, but he pleaded for mercy and God broke his bones. To grab his attention. And my dear ones, God is trying to grab our attention. If we're out there, we're not seeking God, we're seeking other ways of finding fulfillment and satisfaction in this life. Maybe God will be merciful to you that he'll immobilize you. He'll take you out of your environment. That's what happened to me. I kept on promising God, God, just let my football team win and I'll serve you when I get older. 
And I didn't. I kept on getting, old, getting older. My hair kept on getting longer. And I started looking for girls. And I started looking for other things in this world. Oh, man, I was on a trip. And God said, yeah, I'll take you to another trip. I'll take you to Canada. 50 years ago, last Wednesday, I've been in Canada. Thank God. Thank God that he plucked me out of miry clay and planted me on solid rock. I still had a choice. I still had a choice. I told my dad I hate it here. It's cold. It's freezing. I don't have friends. I don't have my sports. I'm going home. I was in the dining room. He just said one thing to me. Dragon, you have a heart of stone. He was right. I started going to church. That summer, I was convicted in Eastern Camp, Webster Springs, 1974. Do I have one regret? Not one. My dear friend, outside of Christ, there are consequences to sin. God is merciful to you. When you have tried your way and come to dead ends and come to, to, to difficult situations in your life, near-death experiences, God is merciful to you. God is trying to get your attention like he did with the, with the Saul who became the Apostle Paul. He's trying to grab your attention. Sin will have its consequences. Even though you are forgiven, even though you turn around, sin will still have consequences. What happened to David? Number them. He couldn't build the temple, which was his great desire, because of his, he was a man of blood. His son died immediately, within a few, whatever it was. His son Absalom rebelled against him. His first son Abishai tried to usurp the throne. He was killed. His son Amnon forced his sister and abused her. He was killed by Absalom. Absalom tried to rebel against his father. Absalom was then killed by his captain. And sin goes down the generations. So sin doesn't just, just affect you and me. It affects those that we are close to. I just, I'll wrap up. I was just listening to the testimony of Brother Adrian. You remember Brother Adrian was here on the weekend? And... I'm just, that's all I'm going to say. He spent 17 years in jail, in prison. But he said, look, when I went my way and it didn't buy thing, sin doesn't just affect me. It affected my whole family. In very unpleasant ways. God is giving you an opportunity 
while it is yet day, harden not your heart. While it is today, come to the throne of God, to the mercy seat, and be like David. Beseech him to give you victory in your life, to confess your sins, to acknowledge your sins. God knows your sins. You can't hide. And God will give you grace above measure. God will give you a life of joy in Christ, even though everything around you, all your circumstances may be crumbling and deteriorating. God will give you that joy and hope for the future. To him be the glory evermore. Amen. A brother, please find a hymn. Brother Doug touched on this in the final moments of his sermon, but I'd like to emphasize it again. Verse 12 of Psalm 51 says, Restore unto me the joy of thy salvation, and uphold me with thy free spirit. Even in the midst of confronting his own sin, David realized that he needed God's joy then and there. We're limited. When someone wrongs us, forgiveness takes time. It's difficult sometimes to forgive. Not so with God. He's without limit. He has no delight in human tears. He looks for a repentant heart and he only disciplines us enough to bring us to that point of repentance. Once that work has been done, there is nothing hindering his joy in your life. It's true sin has consequences, and it's true that we hurt other people. But the joy of, our, of the Lord is, is there for our asking. If we have repented, if we sought his grace and mercy, knowing that it has been our pride and arrogance that has led us into sin, there isn't anything that hinders his joy from returning to us. He delights in the work of salvation. Remember what Christ said, or what was said about Christ in Hebrews. For the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross. He didn't grit his teeth, thinking, oh, I just got to get through this. There was a joy that he was looking forward to on the other side of the cross, and you were part of that. He doesn't seek to punish you to exact some kind of sentence the way that human justice sometimes work, works. That you have to pay for your crimes. The payment has been made. The joy of the Lord is there for your asking. What he looks for is one thing, a broken and a contrite spirit. That he will not despise. Let's remember that. Let's seek his face. Understanding that the merit is all on his side, not on our own. And he is seeking for our, our joy and peace. Remember what it says about that lamb that he rescued from the wilderness? He lay it on his shoulders rejoicing. 
He didn't scold the lamb first for a half hour for running off. Immediately he put it on his shoulders, rejoicing. Let's remember how great a God we serve. This concludes our service. Amen.